بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم الله أكبر الله أكبر والمتعالي الكريم نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونستهديه ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد إذ أنهديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة ربنا افتح بيننا وبين قومنا بالحق وأنت خير الفاتحين ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة ربنا عليك توكلنا وإليك أنبنا وإليك المصير ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا, وتوفنا مع الأبرار سبحانك سبحانك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على محمد المرسل رحمة للعالمين خاتم النبيين وعلى آله وأصحابه وعلى من اتبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين We've reached Alhamdulillah We've reached the end of Ramadan This is the last Jum'ah in Ramadan Another another signpost has completed in the history of the Islamic Ummah. Ramadan that will bear witness for us and against us in the hereafter. Ramadan that offered us opportunities and that invited us to look deep within ourselves and offered us a path so that we could be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala But with the end of Ramadan, a new chapter begins. And this new chapter must be approached 
with a zeal and without despair. For those of us who missed the opportunity on this Ramadan, the only, the only path, the only way is forward. Never to despair in the mercy of your Lord and never to give up on yourself. We don't control the time that we are created or the time that we are born. We don't control what historical period we're created in. And rest assured, we are always only a very small part of the entire divine momentum that moves this world. We can think of any people on the world in the same way that there were people who were born at the heart of the Islamic message in other words, people who were born at the time that the Prophet Muhammad lived, there were also people that were born right before he lived. In other words, they missed out and they died right before he might have been born. In the same way that there are people who might have been born right after the death of the Prophet and they might have been born at a period of considerable turmoil. They might have been born at a time when there was a civil war between those who supported the Caliphate of Ali and those who supported the Umayyin, the Umayyads. There are people that are born, find themselves born in the heart of the Mongol invasions or their destiny is that they find themselves born in Palestine right in the heart of the Crusades and the slaughter that the Crusades inflicted upon Muslims at that time. While people might be born at a time where there are no Mongols and there are no Crusades, you don't control when you are born. That decision is Allah's and Allah's alone. The only question is that having found yourself born in the historical moment that you were born in, what do you do with the challenge? How do you understand your role in the larger scheme of things? 
your obligations, your duties, as well as your limitations and the essence of your relationships. Keep in mind that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is thoroughly just, absolutely just. If you are born at a time of trials and tribulations and you persevere and you stay on the straight path, your reward in hindsight, in the afterlife, after you die and you are re reincarnated or you are Tuvatu, when you are born again to face judgment, if you stayed on the straight path, you might find that you are in fact very happy because your rewards in the hereafter are proportional to the challenges and the difficulties that you confronted in your life. I say this because so many Muslims seem to be overwhelmed by the historical moment they're in. And there is this unfortunate habit of asking the entirely pointless question of why I was born in this moment when things for the Muslim world are so bad and so difficult. Well, perhaps, did it ever occur to you that perhaps Allah knew, knows that if you were born at the time of the Prophet Muhammad I hear this from a lot of young people. Oh, why wasn't I born at the time of the Prophet? Maybe you would have failed yourself. Maybe you would have not been up to the challenge to do something like fight with a sword with all that entailed in order to defend the Muslim Ummah. Remember that the followers of the Prophet ﷺ were demanded, were expected to give all their wealth plus their health plus their emotions to their cause. Maybe, from a different perspective, Allah wanted to honor you. Maybe Allah put you in a difficult historical moment because if you persevere and you hold on to the path of Allah, 
in a moment like this, your rewards, your status with Allah in the hereafter would be higher by many levels compared to those who were born in historical periods of ease and luxury or relative prosperity for the Muslim Ummah. Don't occupy yourself with why Allah chose you at a certain historical moment. This is like this pointless and impossible question of why life, why consciousness, because you simply do not have the type of consciousness and type of brain wiring that would allow you to think beyond what you experienced as a human being. When we talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for instance, we say, Al-awwal bila bidaya wal-akhir bila nihaya, the first but without beginning, and the last without end. Our brain wiring cannot comprehend that because our brain wiring is limited by the physics of causation and the physiology that Allah coded us with to enable us to exist in a social setting and to work in social in societies and to create social interactions, social intercourse and social discourse. So we were wired according to certain physical laws of causation and so is our thinking. When you try to think in terms beyond those laws, you need abilities that I don't say are impossible, but that take years of training and the abilities are often dangerous as well. And abilities that can often be very deceptive and have their own risks and dangers. When Ramadan ends, the Eid I want to remind my fellow Muslims, make a point to make, make it a point to make the Eid celebratory and jubilant. Allah gave us the Eid so that 
we can fulfill the intended purposes of Eid. And the intended purposes of Eid is happiness. Yes, just happiness. To be happy within the family and between families and within the community and between communities and in the entire Muslim Ummah. It is your obligation to fulfill the objectives of Zaid. If there are arguments, postpone them. If there are difficult debates and conversations, put them off. Go out of your way to smile. Even if you can't interact physically because of the pandemic, go out of your way to contact friends and family members on social media. Whatever frictions or misunderstandings or hardship might exist, Da'id is an opportunity to mend and to forgive. Put it in a different way. The Quran consistently reminds us of the virtue of a sabirin, those who persevere and are patient. But the Quran also reminds us that sabr, patience by itself, is not enough. Patience must be accompanied by an intent for jihad, an intent to strive, to work hard, to struggle, to change the reality, to overcome the challenges, so that you can become a vehicle through which al-mustad'afin, those who are oppressed and disempowered, can gain greater equity and greater justice. But a depressed, miserable people cannot effect change. As a rule, those who have become addicted to depression and addicted to self-loathing and addicted to skepticism and addicted to apathy they eat themselves up and they eat their families up, but they produce nothing. That is why Allah 
you if you if you study the seerah of the Prophet you find that the Prophet would go out of his way to bring joy and jubilation. Now think of the life of the Prophet. This man's life is full, full of tribulations. He lost his closest wife, he lost his parents, he lost his dearest uncle, he lost all his children except one. There is hardly a year that passes without some major cause, it, it, something that would make any of us give up on life. I mean, the number of people I've met that have one child and you know, and if they, something happens to their child, they say, I'm angry at God, I can't forgive God, or they lose a husband, I'm angry at God. Well, the Prophet went through all of it. And I've often wondered, in this life that was replete with tragedy and hardship, how did he manage to be seen every day with a smile on his face, spreading good cheers and happiness in his community. And then, especially in the Eid, you would, even after the battle of Uhud, the battle in which Muslims were defeated, between the Battle of Uhud and the Battle of Al-Khandaq, the Battle of the Trench, Muslim life is replete with betrayals and disappointments and challenges and hardship. And yet, if you study the seerah you see consistently Muhammad as the leader and the companions as his disciples understand the importance of renewing your trust in Allah and renewing your awareness that even if this world is not organized to your liking, and even if things transpire in this world that let you down and break your heart, despair is kufr. To despair in Allah's mercy is this is giving up on Allah. And the Eid, it is an exercise in happiness and good cheers. During the pandemic, it's very easy for us to ignore or to forget that element because often we confuse happiness with social pretenses 
I don't think it's in order to be happy, you don't need to, to, to waste a lot of money on splurging on food as a lot of immigrant families do. They get together and they make more food that they can possibly consume. I mean, it, that's a waste. And that's, again, that, that's going... Happiness is to do whatever, to tell a, a brother, I love you. Happiness is to pay someone's debt off, help them. Happiness is to buy your brother or sister a gift, something that they need, and something that would bring joy to their heart. Happiness is to worry about the welfare of your brother and sister. And the amazing thing is in Islam, you can do all of that and be rewarded for it. You can smile at your wife and be rewarded for it. Or smile at your husband goes both ways. You can say kind words and be rewarded for it. You can do something fun and laugh and enjoy and be rewarded for it. As long as you are bringing the bonds of family and community together. Remember that whether we are aware of it or not, We renew a heavy, heavy covenant, heavy covenant, every time we recite the Fatiha, just the Fatiha, which we recite in every prayer, and we recite so often that we no longer reflect upon what it means. That we even just start the Fatiha with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah, the Most Merciful, the Most Compassionate. In the name, in the name of Allah. What you are saying is, I am in this life by the permission of Allah and by the power of attorney given to me by Allah. I have a letter, a power of attorney letter. I'm not here because I am pointless. I'm not here because I don't know what the hell this is all about. I'm not here because I am confused. No, I am here because of this letter of agency and istikhlaf and and deputyship that was given to me by bismillah rahman rahim so we we repeat this so many times but we don't think about it but make it a point that when you say it you mean it 
Because this is what it is. I am here as an as an agent of Allah. In Bismillah Rahman, in the name of God. I am here because I've been deputized. I have been deputized not by any God, but by the God, and that God is most merciful and most compassionate. I said this before, but I will underscore it a million times. Do you want to know what, do you, what the terms of your deputyship is? It's mercy and compassion. So if you do anything on this earth that is not merciful and compassionate, you violated the terms of your deputyship. When you, this is why it blows my mind when I hear about a terrorist attack or I hear about an act of cruelty. If you say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, you are invoking that special power of attorney given to you by Allah to exist on this earth. But Allah gave you a methodology. Allah told you that being my deputy means compassion and mercy. If you do anything that is not compassionate and not merciful, then it is outside the purview of the deputyship. You're acting ultra-virus, beyond the terms of your agency. Mercy and compassion is something that Allah places in our hearts, the absence of which is either demonic or an illness that needs to be treated. So, when a man came to the Prophet and said, I see that you Muslims kiss your children. And the man brags and says, I have, I don't, you know, some reports say three children or some reports say five children. So anyway, and I've never kissed any of them. And the Prophet looks at him and responds, what can I do if Allah has removed mercy from your heart? Of course, that's rhetorical, meaning that you don't want to be a merciful and compassionate person. I can't teach you mercy and compassion. This is something that you like being honest, like being sensitive, like being good-mannered is something you work at to augment. If you, are, if you accustom yourself, if you get yourself used to acts of cruelty, you are going to become a cruel person. 
That, that's how, you know, every prison guard who tortured the prisoner, they, when, they, when they start, they're always shy and bashful and they're always shocked by cruelty. But if they stop worrying about the illness of cruelty, they become cruel. And sooner or later, they forget mercy and compassion and, and how it feels to be merciful or compassionate. Then when we say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, when you say, I am thanking Allah, Rabbil Alameen, the God of the heavens and all that exists, what are you saying? My gratitude, this relationship of gratitude is a philosophy of life. There are people who are always dissatisfied and overcome by victimhood and always in a bad mood because they don't think they've been given their due. And there are people who understand that they do their best, but ultimately it's in Allah's hands. So they don't approach the world bitter and angry, and they don't blame everyone else for their state. That's not what they're interested in. They don't sit there and talk about how everyone wronged them. Their relationship with the world in which they exist in is a relationship of forgiveness and kindness because of Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Because I thank God for what Allah has given me. And I understand that this is what Allah intended for me. I can work for whatever I work for, but without Allah's will, and whatever I get, that's Allah's will. A philosophy of life. A philosophy of life. And that is why we repeat again, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, My gratitude without a methodology of mercy and compassion means nothing. If I claim I am grateful to Allah, but I go and I hurt people, I torture people, I destroy people, I ruin homes, I steal money, I cheat, it's all inconsistent with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. All consistent, inconsistent. You want to know whether you are following the path of Allah or not? Look at the results of your actions. Are the results of mercy and compassion? If yes, that is the path of Allah. If no, then that's not the path of Allah. It's, it's that simple.
when we ask Allah, when we affirm to Allah the prayer, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ We then tell Allah, we know that there are people who trust in money, people who trust in power, people who trust in privilege, people who trust in class, people who trust in ideologies. But for us, our trust is in you. For us, you are our path. We understand that this world we live in is full of human beings that claim to have the path of truth. And all these claims, there are people who say, you know, there's the path of Buddha, the path of I don't know what, the path of Jesus, the path of this guru or another, the path of this teacher, another path upon path upon path. But for a Muslim, anchored in the understanding of Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar Rahmanir Rahim. Our fervent prayer to Allah is. Give us the gift, the gift of Ahdina Sirat al Mustaqim. Give us the gift of your path. No relativism, no proportionality. Well, it may be part this, part that. It is a path, your path. The path of those who managed to stay with you, not the path of who imagined that they don't need you, the path of those who continued in a relationship with you, not the path of those who imagined themselves autonomous, or who imagine themselves agnostic, or who imagine themselves open-minded and free thinkers and whatever. Those who say, well, I'm a good person, why do I need God? Or the path of those who affirmatively rebel against God. We, I hate God. Or the path of those who have been confused by the lack of mercy and compassion on earth until they lost, lost confidence that God exists. And there are so many of these. SubhanAllah. So many people who tell you, yes, I can't believe in God because I see the suffering of children. Or because... I see what happens in wars. Those who got so confused 
that when they found mercy and compassion missing in the world, they lost belief in Allah. So when you say, what you are saying, I know that there are a million different confusing claims and pathways and illusions and delusions. But I want your path. I want your path of mercy and compassion and guidance and light. Remember, my point was you are born in a historical moment. Our historical moment as Muslims is full of reasons for unhappiness, suffering, and injustice, and defeatism, and all types of ailments. You and I don't control that. This is what Allah chose for us. Embrace it because it's Allah's will. Vow to change it because it's Allah's will. Your pathway to change must be built on mercy and compassion because that's what Allah wants. It cannot be based on cruelty or injustice. But ultimately, understand you cannot be broken, you cannot be grouchy, you cannot be depressed. You cannot be sardonic. You cannot be Mr. Skepticum, skepti skeptical. You can be wise. You can be critical. You can be analytical. But part of Iman is to say, this is all mulkullah. This is all owned by God. I do my part. I know the past. I pray to Allah to keep me on the past. But the results are in Allah's hands. And so, when the Eid comes, you spread good cheers. And you don't despair because one Ramadan has gone, but you wait eagerly for the next to come. And if Allah has kept you alive till the following Ramadan, you do everything within your capacity to do better than you did Ramadan before. And this is our existence as Muslims. This is Allah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. وسبحان الله العلي العظيم والصلاة والسلام على محمد خاتم النبيين المرسل رحمة للعالمين سيد الأنام وهادي البشر عليه أفضل الصلاة والتسليم
the Muslim has an obligation to testify. The results are up to Allah. Just recently, as recent maybe as this morning, either today or yesterday, I read a news item. The U.S. cleared the way for new arms sales to the United Arab Emirates despite evidence it violated the last one. The United States, yet again, looks at the Muslim world as a cash cow. Yet again, my country, yes, I know there are a lot of white people out there that want to imagine that this is their country. But no, someone who's not white is entitled to this country as much as any second or third generation or fourth generation or whatnot. But yet again, my country looks at Muslims and Muslim life as worthless. When it comes to Western countries, white countries, when it comes to Israel, there are principles to be followed. But when it comes to Muslims and Arabs, we don't even follow our own laws. We sold the United Arab Emirates weapons, the United Arab Emirates in clear violation of American law, transferred illegally transferred those weapons in violation with their contract of sale, transferred those weapons to for, under international law, unrecognized conventional armies, in other words, non-conventional combatants, in Libya and in Yemen. A clear violation of, of American law and a clear violation of international law. And these weapons were used to kill hundreds upon hundreds of Muslims. But yet again, the law means nothing, international and domestic when it comes to Emirati money and when it comes to the lives of Muslims. If you are asking what to do, every Muslim who learns something about American politics Learn how to contact your representative in Congress and voice your strong opinion against an immoral and illegal sale like this. Say, no, I have a contract with Allah. 
that when I exist in this world, I exist for a purpose. I cannot allow a country like the United Arab Emirates, which slaughters Muslims without conscience. You are a taxpayer. So ultimately, as a taxpayer, just by living in the U.S. and paying taxes, we take part in the murder committed using American weapons that is handled by the Emirat, that is bought for, bought and paid for by the Emirat. If Allah has, if Allah has given you the talent, run for office, get elected in Congress, and work very hard to bring an end to immoral and illegal contracts like this. This is, and I know that probably if you look at all the khutbas in the in in, in the United States, I doubt you'll have, you'll find see another khutbah anywhere that comments on something like this, and this is exactly why Allah leaves us in the mess we're in. Allah will not help us as long as we witness injustice and not raise our voice against it. Speaking of injustice, I've actually raised this in my last khutbah, I believe, But again, I must mention there are things that happen on this earth in the same way there are people who are hardly known on this earth. They're, they're nobodies on this earth. But in the heavens, they're superstars. Rest assured, there are people amongst us who on this earth, there is nobody. But in the heavens, there's superstars. They're rock and roll stars. There are people who are very famous on this earth. But in the heavens, they're worth nothing. There are events that happen on this earth that people ignore, but I feel in my core and bones that the heavens shake. The heavens are turned upside down because of these events. Among those, I return again to the egregious death of the Saudi scholar Abdullah al-Hamid. I have been spending a good amount of time reading this man's writing. Abdullah al-Hamid was a rare talent 
able to combine the Islamic tradition with the moral values of human dignity and human rights and doing it in a logical and compelling fashion. But what is, what makes me come back to this is the man died in a Saudi prison He's near 70, I think he was 69 years old. I learned that he needed a heart surgery. The Saudi government refused, like what Egypt did with Morsi, refused to give him the heart operation he needed. And not only that, but threatened him that if he tells his family about his medical condition, that his heart is in really bad state and that he needs heart surgery, that they will punish him by denying him visits. And that the man basically languished in prison and died, if you've ever had heart attack or a heart condition, you know the agony you go through, the chest pain, the shortness of breath. And to think this man, this man who's 69 years old, has been to prison something like 11 times or more. His last prison sentence, the one he died in, was for 11 years. And for what? For creating an organization for political and civil rights for saying Islam protected human dignity, for saying it is not consistent with Islam to torture and to kill and to rape and to... But to do it in, in, a, in a language of the Quran and in a, in a persuasive fashion, because he cares about humanity and he cares about the Rahman al-Rahim, because he has that innate understanding that to be a Muslim, to say in the name of Allah, Bismillah, then you must commit to Rahman al-Rahim. His whole life, he was fired from his teaching position at a university. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I am embarrassed. I, I, I stand and I pray to Allah and I feel embarrassed. This man, an academic, lost his teaching job spent time in prison all the time, away from his family, suffered through numerous, I, my wife gives me my, my, my pills three times a day, my medicine, and if I miss one dosage, I know the amount of discomfort and suffering you go through. And then I imagine this poor man, this intellectual, this rare intellectual gift, without his medicine, without medical care, without his family, without anything. After having lost his job and then eventually dies in prison, and who cares? The world, the hypocritical Western world that sits there and talks about human rights, if someone 
cusses the Prophet and, and, and God or mocks the Quran and Muslims get upset, they, they give us long lectures about freedom of speech and human rights and so on. But something like this, and still Muhammad bin Salman is their friend and still they do business with him and still they, they look the other way. All they care about is that Israel is in a good state and that heck with Muslims. The last item, and I have to mention it. There was a 19-year-old girl called Aya Ismail Hashim who was killed in England. According to the police, it was not a racial attack and it was not an Islamophobic attack, although I have my doubts. She was walking to the supermarket and was, she was shot. And the police arrested, first they arrested three people, then they arrested 12 people. And, uh, the, you know, they, they, they say, oh, she was not the intended target, but we know that the British government regularly covers up Islamophobic attacks because Boris Yeltsin wrote an op-ed recently that was, huh? Sorry, uh, uh, Johnson, not Yeltsin. <laughs> Boris Johnson wrote an op-ed recently that was so Islamophobic, it caused a 350% spike in Islamophobic attacks after he rewrote it. Anyway, this poor girl, the, whether she was killed in a crossfire or whether she was killed, it, as I suspect, whether she was actually the intended target in a racist and Islamophobic attack, and especially when the British government asked the Muslim community not to incite uh, worry and concern by speculating about the, the, the motives behind the attacks. Whenever a government asks you to not incite anything, you, you become suspicious. Anyway, that's not why I'm bringing up the Although, of course, it's a tragedy. This girl, Aya, was a second-year law student. What concerned me the most, my condolences to her family, may Allah accept her in heaven, inshallah, is that some Muslims... started raising money for the family or money to create for charities on her name or on behalf and became very active in this. Some Muslims donated money to the family until they found out that she's Shia. And then some Muslims wanted to withdraw their donations or even if they didn't withdraw their donations, they regretted their donations because Ayoshia or Ishia. One, I as a human being, and that would be enough. But more importantly, 
More importantly, there's a lot I can say, and I know I'm out of time, over time. To confuse between the Shia, who have been a part of the reality of Islam for centuries, and who have been a sizable part of the Muslim community, whether in Iran or Iraq or in one time in Egypt or in Arabia, the Shia are a part of the Islamic fabric, whether anyone likes it or not. Part of growing up, part of understanding the meaning of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is learning to coexist with shared respect even with those that you disagree the most. I get extremely offended when I hear Muslims refer to that hadith that is clearly fabricated about the Khawarij being the dogs of hellfire, Kalab al-Nar. With all their inequities, the Khawarij was a historical sect. With all their mistakes in belief, so were the Mu'tazila. But so are the Shia. They have a co-equal right to exist as Muslims even if you really do not like their theology. You don't control Allah's will. The fact that you don't like Iran's policies or you don't like Hezbollah's policies, or you don't like the Houthi's policies, imagine if someone hates you as a Sunni because they don't like the policies of Muhammad bin Salman, who's Khadim al-Haramain al-Sharifin. Imagine if someone treats you with disdain and bigotry because of what Sisi does in Egypt. Every human being, especially a fellow Muslim, is entitled to full due and respect. And to donate money to the family and then to think, oh, well, she's Shia, I want my money back is obscene. And something that I had something that I had to distance myself from. I hope none of those who listen to me follow this type of ignorance and this type of bigotry. Allahumma afu anna. Allahumma lana. اللهم ارحمنا اللهم اهدنا لأقرب من هذا رشد يا علي عظيم وانصر الإسلام وهد المسلمين يا رب العالمين اللهم forgive our sins 
Grant us the path of beauty and understanding and mercy and compassion. Grant us nearness and closeness to you, Ya Allah. And forgive our sins and guide us the straight path.